Welcome to the Bible Unthumped. I'm David Kay. I'm not a scholar of the Bible, but I've spent my entire life reading and studying it. And I've found that many people really don't understand the Bible they're thumping. So on this podcast, we get into the story behind the stories that were collected into books that became the book we know today as the Bible. You can have faith and still ask questions. This is the Bible Unthumped. This is the fourth episode on the subject of creation in the Bible. We've talked about how the Bible's two creation stories are etiologies, ways of explaining to ancient Israelites how something came to be the way that it is. Something is the way that it is, and you project a story back in time to tell you how it got that way. In the Garden of Eden story, we got an etiology for man, woman, animals, painful labor for both men and women, for him as a dirt farmer and for her as a childbearer, and we learned how humans acquired the awareness or wisdom of the gods, but failed to become immortal like gods. And we learned where agriculture came from and why those despicable snakes ended up as legless crawly creatures. Where did all of this reality come from? We need a story to tell us. Now we shift to the other creation story, the one that takes place over a seven-day time frame the one that appears primarily in Genesis 1, the first chapter of the whole Bible. This story, too, is an etiology. It offers a backstory for the physical cosmos as it was understood in the ancient world. So the obvious question, how did the ancient world understand the cosmos? They didn't have Skylabs and Hubble telescopes and airplanes that could travel around the globe in both directions. They couldn't examine the sun and moon and planets like we can today. They didn't know what a galaxy was or even what a star was, let alone about nebulas and pulsars and the vastness of the universe. The ancient grasp on clouds, even, was pretty weak. No weather satellites. They couldn't exactly leave the ground. So in these ancient circumstances, with so little information and observational capability, relatively speaking, how do you think you'd picture the cosmos? I will tell you, as we have a pretty clear grasp of how they understood things in more primitive times. For the Israelites and the other ancient Near Eastern peoples, the cosmos was rather like a snow globe, like one of those miniature scenes situated on a base with a clear glass or plastic dome enclosing it. The land was at the base, of course, and where the land ended, the seas surrounded it. The land sort of sat on a kind of platform with its pillars reaching down below the seas. The pillars of the earth, if you've heard that phrase, borrowed from this ancient understanding. Above the land and sea was the dome of the heavens. This was like the plastic or glass part. And in most conceptions, there were actually several concentric domes. If you've ever heard the phrase seventh heaven, that's related back to this series of domes that ancient people assumed existed up above them. The seventh one was the highest one where God must have lived. So if you're in seventh heaven, you're as high and happy as you can be. We think of heaven in a spiritual sense, but for ancient people, it was quite physical. God or the gods lived up there, and they managed the events of the world from up there, which is why astrology was so pervasive among many ancient Near Eastern cultures, and why great and noble people like pharaohs and Greek heroes and Caesars went to heaven to live among the stars when they died. They became immortal and were sent up there, exalted to rule along with the gods. 
and connect the dots, it's why we Bible readers think we go to heaven and use the word heaven when we die, if we are good Christians anyway. Also, sky and heaven were not two separate concepts. That was one thing, one Hebrew word. In Bible translation, we sometimes translate sky and sometimes heaven, depending on how spiritual we want a particular passage to seem. Nope, there is just heaven, or the heavens, plural, if you're talking about more than one layer of domes up there. No separate sky, per se. Also, and this is important for ancient folks who didn't understand much about the weather, above the domes were storehouses of hail and snow and a whole other sky-blue, watery world up there that sometimes rained on them. We've belabored the heaven part here, but in summary, the cosmos, as ancient Israelites knew it, was a base with earth on pillars surrounded by the sea and then domed enclosures up above holding up another water world and the divine inhabitants of heaven. And that's what they believed existed. Perfectly reasonable, honestly, given what they could have known in a pre-scientific age. And this was not just the Israelites, but pretty much all of the people of the ancient Near East. Egyptians and Mesopotamians and Canaanites and Greeks had similar conceptions of the world. Understanding the snow globe conception of the world is really important for these next two episodes, because in the seven-day creation story, we are going to learn about how God built the snow globe world as they understood it. The seven-day creation story was written a few centuries after the Garden of Eden story. The seven-day version probably dates to the 6th century BC during or just after the period of exile in Babylon we discussed back in episode 2.3, though some scholars believe it was written as early as circa 700 BC, well before the exile. You will perhaps remember that we are dealing with a god by a different name in the seven-day story. In the last two weeks, we've been talking about the god Yahweh and his workers Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. For the next two weeks, though, we are not talking about Yahweh. God is called Elohim in this story, and Elohim is transcendent, with no need for earthly gardens and for face-to-face -face conversations with humans. Elohim is an aloof, unapproachable, holy sort of God. We will find that Elohim creates by speaking, let there be, and there is. For six days, Elohim will speak things into existence using this phrase. Here is an aside as it would take a long time to address the subject fully, but when early Christians were struggling with the question of who was Jesus, some started to identify him with this spoken word of God that we see here in this story. The spoken word wasn't God exactly, but it was with God, something godly that accompanied God. Read the first chapter of the Gospel of John to see the phrase, in the beginning, echoed. In the beginning was the Word, the author of John says. So Genesis 1-1, you get the opening line, which is very iconic. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I'm going to keep referencing the snow globe. So in this verse, the God Elohim creates the heavens and the earth, the domed parts up there, and the parts at the base of the snow globe. In spite of how iconic the phrase is, this opening line, this complete sentence, is actually probably not the best way to translate the Hebrew into English. 
The phrase in the beginning makes us think we are at the dawn of time or something. Most scholars would suggest that a better phrasing might instead be more like, when God began to shape the heavens and the earth, and that adverbial phrase, not a complete sentence, would lead us to the next bit in verse 2. The earth was formless and void. So the earth, which exists already, you see, was formless and void when our story begins. When God began to create the heavens and earth, the earth was formless and void. That's a better translation. So often you hear that God created ex nihilo, Latin for out of nothing. But that's not what we are told here in the Bible in this story, or you'll recall in the story of the Garden of Eden either. Never at any point in the Bible is there a non-world before existence. There is already something, a setting for our story, not nothing, when God begins his week of shaping the cosmos. There is Earth, the base part of the snow globe. It's already here. But we learn right off the bat, the Earth, before Elohim shapes it, is formless and void. These two words are so, so critical because they offer the framework for the entire rest of the story. Verse 2. The Earth is formless. It has no structure, no architecture. And it is void. It's empty. There's nothing occupying it. Formless and void. The god Elohim will take three days to give the world its form, and he will take the next three days to fill its empty voids. In Hebrew, formless is the word tohu, and void is the word bohu. Tohu and bohu, and they rhyme and therefore stand out, not in English, obviously, but in Hebrew. And they serve as a sort of diagnosis. What was wrong with the world before Elohim started shaping it? Well, it was formless and void, and that needs to be fixed. We learn, too, that there was darkness and a deep abyss, and a divine wind or spirit moved over the surface of the waters. What you see described here is the watery chaos, the wild and untamed sea that the ancient Near Eastern mythmakers believed characterized the primordial world. The Hebrew word for abyss is tehom, and the Egyptian equivalent is called nu, and the Mesopotamian version is called Tiamat. Tiamat is also an evil dragon god in the Dungeons and Dragons universe, which is neither here nor there. All of these creatures began their myth stories with an abyss or watery chaos, and you see that trope employed here for the Israelites too. So the world is a formless void, a watery chaos, and the god Elohim is about to fix it, to turn it into a well-structured and populated snow globe world. We are going to close this episode by talking about what Elohim did during the first three days of creation. You'll want to think of the literary structure of this story from this point on as a sort of chart with a top row of three boxes and a bottom row under that of also three boxes. So three across and two down, such that days one, two, and three across the top are stacked on top of days four, five, and six. Day one over day four on the chart, day two over day five, day three over day six. If you're having trouble picturing this, perhaps it will help when we see what Elohim actually created on each day. Day one, verses three to five. 
The God Elohim says, Let there be light, and there was light. Each of the first three days can be described as an act of separation. Elohim separates the light from the darkness. So the world obviously goes from dark to light each day, and now we see why. The chaotic world that was just darkness is now partly light, thanks to Elohim. Light, dark, light, dark, evening, morning, evening, morning. Day 2, verses 6 through 8. The God Elohim says, Let the watery world be separated, divided in two, by a firmament, waters above from waters below. This one is a bit tricky to explain, but you have to bring to mind here again our snow globe. What you are reading on day two is that God has created the dome itself, or domes plural. That blue dome up there is holding up the heavenly waters. Have you ever wondered how an ancient mind would have tried to grasp the fact that water sometimes just falls down from up there? It sometimes rains. Well, that's because there's a bunch of water up there above the dome, and this is now separated from the waters of the sea down at the base of the snow globe. The word firmament that commonly appears in translations of these verses is an interesting one. You almost certainly never use the word firmament in everyday speech. It's a firm fixture, a barrier, a separator. It's the domes that God calls heaven or sky in verse 8. So at the end of day 2, we have alternating dark and light, evening and morning, with the waters of the cosmos separated, some at the base of the dome, the seas, and some up there above the sky dome. Hopefully that makes sense. Now, on to day 3, starting in verse 9, which is a bit easier. This is the day that the god Elohim separates the land from the seas at the base of the snow globe. Let the waters be gathered to where they should be, so that the land can have some space. A separation again, taking place for the third day in a row. Land is separate from sea. And God makes plants grow on the newly formed land. Evening and morning, and that's day three. So we have now completed the first three days, filled in the boxes on the top row of our chart. We have light separated from dark, the first box in the top left. Then waters above, separated by a heavenly dome of sky from the waters below. That's the top middle box. And we have the land separated from the seas, the top right box of the chart. And we have effectively built the snow globe, you see. The world that was a chaotic, watery, dark, windy abyss is now the well-formed cosmos as the ancient mind understood it. A world that had no structure now has a structure. So in the first three days, Elohim has addressed the first of the two diagnoses about the primordial world. A world without form was made into a world with form. But remember that the primordial world had a second diagnosis. It was formless and it was also void, an empty place. In the next episode, we will turn to the next three days, four, five, and six, to the bottom row of our chart and we find out how God fills up the well-shaped world he's just made so that it isn't empty anymore. So tune in for the rest of the seven-day creation story next week. Less thumping, more understanding. See you next time.